Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. This is EJ Musa with The Naked Truth, and today I am going to be speaking with Council Member Chris Coughlin from Johns Creek. This is a recorded conversation he and I had, so the audio quality is a little bit sketchy at times. This is a learning curve for all of us, but we are going to work through it, and we hope that you find this conversation that Chris and I had uh, enlightening and enjoyable, and we encourage you to ask questions of both myself and Chris Coughlin with any uh, thoughts you may have on this program. Whenever you have a chance, this is going to be a two-part program, and this is part one. City Council member, how are you doing today, today Chris? I'm doing wonderful, Mr. Bush. I'm doing very well. It's been quite a while since we've spoken and recorded a conversation, and uh, I just want to thank you for your time. I've been watching you on the City Council. I realize there's a lot of stuff going on, especially property taxes and the millage rate right now, in addition to some of the cost uh, uh, coming up between the, uh, the new city hall, the park costs for the uh, pocket park, that seems to be much higher than what we anticipated. And so I just thought we might have just a general conversation about what's going on, what's it like to be a city council member, and what are some of the things that are important to you. Yeah, absolutely. It has been too long since we've uh, talked. Um, yeah, so things are, uh, yeah, well, we've had quite a few agendas that quite busy. Residential property is valued at a much higher level. 
do you have any insights as to why we continue to pursue so much more commercial development, especially when each year we seem to have more money left over than what we took, what we needed to spend? Well, I remember a, a long, I mean, not a long time ago, but in 2014, there was the argument that um, to be a fiscally sustainable city, we needed to balance uh, the receipts between the uh, business uh, slash commercial uh, portion of the city and then the uh, residents. And what you see is exactly what you say. I would say, um, even though it, it was estimated at an 80-20 split and we had to get more, um, I would say the residents were even subsidizing a, a lot of these services that the commercial sector received based on those property tax receipts. So um, the, the, the thought process, I guess, that the commercial is going to bring us additional revenue, I, I think it's misguided, especially throughout practice. And if we're going to rely on the assessor's office to always get things right, kind of like repeating the same mistake and, and expecting different results. I, I, I think um, I think the assessors have done a better job on getting some of these properties uh, properly evaluated, um, but we still have a long way to go. Well, yes, we do. And, you know, just, just to be honest with that uh, statement about the, uh, the property taxes and the ratio of commercial to residential, I actually contacted the author of that report that's often cited, and it, last time I looked, it was in the comprehensive land use plan, that, that cited uh, this uh, professor's report from the University of Georgia. And I gave him John's Creek specifics, and he told us, he told me specifically, I have an email, that that does not apply to us since we were mostly built out, mostly residential, high-end properties, and it doesn't really apply to us. And I asked him if, he could, if I could use his email and affirm that, and he told me yes. Um, so. To me, that's just an example of a, a, it sounds good, right? you got to have a certain amount of commercial to support the residential, but the reality is quite different. You know, what we need to do is go in and verify. We need to look at the properties, see what the revenue is being returned, what, what they're generating, and then see if it's actually true. You know what Reagan said, trust but verify. We need to verify these statements made by city officials as being factually correct. So that, that's my end of the spectrum there on that, on that conversation. But, but John's Creek's never had a revenue issue, has it? Not at all. So, so this is, I have repeated this for years. Um, we have a good problem in that we generally underestimate revenues and overestimate expenditures by, uh, I think the median last time I looked at it is, you know, eight, plus or minus 8% uh, um, over, or excuse me, underestimation on the revenues and, and uh, overestimation on the expenditures. I think you know, staff does a good job keeping it under expenditures, but again, the, we always come in uh, higher on revenues, and um, it, it's how we amass that uh, such a large surplus in, in such a few years after incorporation. So that we have a revenue problem is, I think, definitely misguided. Um, we, we do need to reevaluate some of our assumptions going forward, too, on what our revenue estimates are for years down the road uh, based on um, our 10-year financial plan. Well, let's, let's, let's give you this hypothetical. Let's imagine one year where we overestimated on what our revenues were going to be and we underestimated on what our expenses would be. That's just a one-year risk, correct? We could correct ourselves within one year if we found that we had a major issue. Is that not true? Absolutely. That's the beauty of uh, 
our city manager, Warren Hutmacher, provides us with a monthly updated report with status updates to our uh, general fund and how we're trending for that particular year. So to close the gap and set a particular village rate would kind of alleviate that issue. So if we were coming in um, under revenue and over expenditures, we could uh, resolve that issue on a year-to-year basis. Hopefully, after a couple of years of it happening, we'll realize the problem on estimating the revenue expenditures and resolve that. But yes, you're absolutely right. If we need to fill that gap, we would do so with the millage rate. Well, that's good to hear because I often hear that we can't do this because of this long-term projection of capital projects we need, but we have the ability every single year to make corrections and improvements and, and change the course if we find we're suddenly getting off course. But from my perspective, we've been on course to budget surpluses nearly each and every year since we became a city. Yeah, and we said the surplus aren't even evident, so the argument that we're not prepared for things in the future, I would say it's, it's no longer valid because we're starting to set aside money uh, for repaving the streets in, in 15, 20 years, you know? So um, with these accruals, I, I don't think the long-term outlook that everyone says is so bleak is actually true. So if we do pursue things um, and build out the fire station and and plan to, uh, you know, uh, finance the, the O&M for that fire station, we'll, we'll definitely have to address some expenditure issues, but until that time comes, um, I think we should do what we said we were going to do during the campaign. That thing, the city council, all of us have said we're going to either keep taxes the same or lower taxes. And so this is our, one of the opportunities we did pretty much one of the single-handedly uh, the best control on taxes on an annual basis is the millage rate. So I, I do hope uh, our council will be taking this very seriously. Um, Okay, now I don't mean to ambush you with this comment, but you had mentioned we were, don't worry, we were uh, talking about expenditures, and it just so happened uh, in my conversation with council member Stephanie Andres, which I spoke to this morning, um, I had calculated the amount of money we're spending per resident between 2014 and 2017, according to the city's certified auto uh, finance report. more cost 
costly for us to deliver those services on a per-resident basis than it was at the sweet spot. I don't know how to find what that sweet spot is, of course, but um, I just, as we pursue growth at any cost, I, I would just caution us to think, you know, maybe there are some outcomes that we don't want to pay for. Um, and then the unfortunate thing, and this is why I'm so limited to government, because it is it's in the human nature to grow, to uh, expand. And um, that inevitably, you see that business and you do that as good, but that also impacts governments. Because government agencies are run by humans, and you look um, for control and expansion and things like that. So inevitably, a person with more of a limited uh, government viewpoint needs to kind of check to restrain that growth, or uh, unfortunately, we'll, we'll, we'll be like the federal government. The um, state government's much better than the federal government, but it's still large. And so uh, we do have to check on the growth and, and kind of to see the utility in the per capita cost, right? So uh, what we have to see demonstrated efficacy for additional services if, if we're going to demand that residents pay more per year for each individual. So it's definitely hard when I generally say that I try to protect the biggest minority of all, which is the individual. Um, and so uh, it's definitely hard in the realm of government to look out for each uh, individual. And uh, what we got to do better to show that uh, on a per capita basis, uh, we don't increase these costs. Well, I appreciate you trying to spend every dollar as widely as possible. And I appreciate you looking at me as an individual and not part of a larger group. That reminds me of, um, uh, I know Councilmember Bradbury made a comment during one of the comprehensive land use plan conversations about why is the city tracking uh, the race and the you know, status of all the residents in Johns Creek. Um, I want my city government, and I, you don't have to comment on this because this is my opinion, I want my city government to look at everyone and treat everyone as individuals not as part of a larger group. So um, yeah. that just said, you don't have to comment because I know people get, you know, very sensitive about it, but, you know, you, like you said, we're all individuals and that's the single greatest minority. Um, yeah, and, and one thing in, you know, within also with the comprehensive life plan, this was, I believe in the vision issues and, and I made comments that I don't necessarily think we should uh, be beholden to the goals within the CLUP because, I mean, it's, so a lot of information in a 200-page document, and, and we may have very nuanced perspectives on a, a variety of these issues. And one of them is um, seeking out, uh, I personally don't believe, and I think it's under the economic development or, or does, um, maybe something about providing housing options for different age groups. And, and I always, uh, specifically millennials, and um, something that I believe a uh, – something that's being perpetuated in the media is that millennials want these uh, high-dense areas, but uh, the reason or that, that they're not buying houses, they're not buying cars, well, uh, a lot of the millennials came of age in the biggest recession of our lifetime, and so for financial purposes, they may have stayed at home or may not have purchased car, but some of the, the if we look at subgroups, which I don't want to, uh, but when millennials are the biggest sub, the biggest demographic purchasing cars, the, the biggest demographic moving into the suburbs. So this aren't that we have to build uh, these mixed-use, high-dense uh, areas to attract millennials is, is, is wrong thinking. And, and 
I challenge anyone to think about it this way. If you take whatever immutable aspect of yourself, so if you want to think your national origin, your uh, race, color, creed, any of those, uh, age, and say we want to attract this this blank group to Johns Creek, I, I don't necessarily think that's the goal of government. I, I think you should allow our city to transition, and it has been. I'm a millennial. I came here when I'm ready to take advantage of these good schools and this quality of life at Johns Creek. Of course, we have those issues like traffic that we're trying to work on, but um, I came here naturally. It wasn't because the government uh, created this environment for me. So, well, I think most of us can make that same argument. Uh, most of us relocate. We don't live in the city that we were born in. Most of us relocate to a place where our spouse came from, or our spouse relocates to where we came from, or most of us seek the best possible schools for our children. And that's just a natural thing, and it doesn't have anything to do with any other socioeconomic demographic. We just do the best we can for our kids. Now, for children, for millennials not wanting to drive, I completely understand. You're a bit younger than me, a lot younger than me, but driving today is not the joy it was 30 years ago, and I'm pretty sure driving in 30 years will not be the joy it is today, believe it or not, because it's pretty miserable today. Um, but, I mean, who would want to sink that much money into a vehicle to sit in traffic and get stopped at every other traffic light? I mean, it's just, it's just rational. It's, it's not an enjoyable experience. So I, I don't fault the millennials for that. It's not their fault that our local governments did not um, uh, build our freeways to the uh, maximum capacity. It's one of the big problems I have with GDOT, as well as our own local, uh, your, your Jones Creek City Council's uh, choices. We build to the minimum standard. You know, I don't know if you saw this week, but Governor uh, Deal was up there as they uh, started a new construction uh, from 985 up to somewhere further north on 85. Um, and they're going to add one lane, third, three lanes. From going from two to three lanes. My question is, you're going to have traffic delays, you're going to have the construction cones everywhere, why not go ahead and go from two to four lanes and be done for a really, really, really long period of time? You cut the cost of construction down drastically. Um, if you look at the two projects going from two to three and three to four, you just go ahead and go from two to four. The same thing occurred on 400. They should have gone ahead and while they were doing this, widened it to four lanes in each direction and been done with it for decades. But that's, that's the way I think. I think differently than those guys. So Yes. So. And, um, and, and instead of just increasing it to uh, allow further traffic of commercial vehicles, you know, I did, one thing I did find interesting of Clay Tippin's uh, run for governor was the fact that he was pushing this um, I, I think it's innovative, uh, uh, kind of roundabout highway that connects uh, almost a commercial bypass that users had a toll road that allows them to pass 285 um, and the uh, metro Atlanta area as a connection to go south or west or north. And so, um, so some of those things that we got to look at holistically. And so that there is a difference of, of looking at effectiveness in my own opinion. Well, you're absolutely correct. Um, 285. If we can go back to the CLUP and, and things we report, statistics we report, you know, like, I don't know if I want to go out there and say, hey, John Street is always ranked in the top eight of cities, but that's a demographic, uh, or a, excuse me, a descriptive statistic that we should, you know, put in there and talk about 
targeted to trying to push some of the policies that I think the residents want. But uh, I, I do, well, with, uh, I, I've kind of looked at things in a different, uh, I've had a bit of a paradigm shift into in looking at things uh, in the all or nothing aspect. Because, you know, while you may disagree on what this village rate will be, whether it's 387 or 3.6 or somewhere in between, closer to 3.6, hopefully. Um, we, this is the first time we started at the rollback and, and had, I mean, we, we, the first time in the city, didn't think that we would go the legal, and I know you can't see me, but I'm doing the air quotes around the, the, the legal definition by, by the state of Georgia. So we have made progress in that aspects, but then again, we've maybe uh, taken some steps back on, on like the, the cost of the pocket part. So it, it's, um, it's, it's been quite an experience, and, and so I'm still learning. It, it's uh, it, it's got a little bit of a longer learning curve than I initially thought as well. But I, I think uh, I'm, I'm starting to get the hang of it in some of the policy issues uh, that I, I surrounded my campaign, or I, I believe we're making the right direction. Like um, we spoke with the Jacobs and the Public Works Director on um, evaluating light synchronization, but that the most important decision from that uh, audit, if you want to call it that, is the fact that we need to put objective measure uh, metrics in place that uh, demonstrate some type of uh, efficacy, the effectiveness of our system. So uh, what with the T-SPOS projects, it's nice to see that we're looking at the problem, uh, identifying it uh, quantitatively, and then saying what, what the solution, what the models, and, and uh, what the actual effectiveness will be on a per capita. And so you'll see like um, the Barnwell Holton Bridge, which I think you and I are in agreement that a lot of the issues with congestion uh, can be resolved a lot at intersections. Uh, and so if you look at the uh, modeled effectiveness of the improvements along Barnwell and Holton Bridge, they're outstanding. But then you look at the, the Haynes Bridge widening, and I wouldn't necessarily say that may be even effective at all, right? So um, what we have gone more in a, a data-centered process, but it, it, it's, it's tough. It, 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 the slog can get there, so, but I, I do think we're making better progress. And uh, again, it's a learning curve that I, I wasn't necessarily expecting, but, uh, uh, and it, it is something I, I, I did expect was, you know, uh, a lot of strong personality. So I, I think we're doing better. Uh, we may disagree on policy philosophy, but the, but the council needs to really ultimately uh, respect each other. And and, and um, you don't have to agree, but we, we can have a civil discourse and disagree on certain things. So I, I think council is, is hopefully going to move in a better direction in those regards too. So, well, I mean, you're not there to make friends, right? I mean, no, no, I, I got, I got kids. I, I, I got plenty of uh, <laughs> good. Uh, there are people that I'm trying to make effective uh, policy, uh, limit government uh, to kind of the rules that they're supposed to follow, and that's kind of in John's Creek. I see uh, as kind of the most essential of. of if you, me, let me take a step back. What I think I wasn't here when John's Creek. Incorporated. But I do believe the mission and the issue of incorporation was uh, local control 
we're uh, looking at some better ideas, I believe, in the congestion realm. Again, that, that's been slow moving, but uh, now we have a new public works director that uh, we have a lot of high hopes with. Uh, so those, what I believe, the, the issues of why Johns Creek came to the city still need to be the main focus for the uh, for, for the city's goals. Some of these other things that we we may not see as the residents' most important ideas, right? Um, so uh, tracking commercial uh, business to John Street. I don't necessarily, I, I think the, the residents want to get to the, the parks quicker so they can take their kids to you know, practice and things like that. So we need, we need to go back to almost the original mission of John Street. But, All right, we're going to pause it there, folks, for uh, this episode, and we'll continue um, with part two of the conversation with Chris Coughlin in the very near future. We thank you for listening in to Naked Truth with E.J. Musa and Chris Coughlin. Thank you.